Amen. Can we thank our worship team one time? You guys were sounding extra saucy tonight. That's my new word for describing worship, saucy. That means good, by the way. How y'all doing? Doing well? So good to see you. Anybody finish up finals this week? Come on, you ought to shout louder than that. If you're done with finals for the semester, you ought to give God a great praise. (laughs) We're working on it. We're working on it. We're excited uh, tomorrow, or not tomorrow, uh, next Thursday is our Christmas service slash Christmas party. going to be a fun time, and uh, so I hope you'll come out, enjoy the Christmas festivities with us. It's going to be great, and uh, tonight, as Alex said, if you missed the announcements earlier tonight, after service, we're going out to our friends at Boulder Creek Coffee uh, down in uh, downtown Lawrenceville, and so it invites you to come. It's not, you don't have to. It's not like if you came, you must go. Uh, actually, yes, if you came, you must go. We're going to force you to go. No, it's just a good time to hang out with some people, maybe meet some new friends and enjoy some uh, coffee and pastries together. They're going to have pastries for us. It's going to be great. Well, last week we began a, um, not a series, but I guess just kind of two random standalone kind of talks, just talking about Christmas and the Christmas story. And so last week we talked about what it means that Jesus came to be the Prince of Peace and what it means that he is peace and that he offers peace. And so that was a good time talking about that. And uh, so I just want to continue tonight kind of in some things that uh, I've been learning and what God's been just reminding me of um, as we enter into the Christmas season. I've been doing college young adult ministry now for like two and a half years. And uh, so I've been serving you guys for two and a half years. It's been an amazing two and a half years. If I've learned anything from the two and a half years that I've been hanging with you guys, I've learned a lot. But I've, one of the things that I know that I've learned is that uh, people and just things in general are never just what they seem on the surface. Have you learned that? Like stuff is never just what it seems on the surface. And then you get into, if you, if you do work or you do anything like with people, you start learning that people are not just who they are on the surface, that there's actually a lot underneath them, right? In fact, one of the things that I just, I love to do is I love to just kind of metaphorically like peel back the layers of people. And so you sit down in the, I have a lot of conversations with you guys and, and and so I sit down with you, and I just enjoy, you know, a lot of times you, you have something that you want to talk about when you come to me, and so we'll talk about it. But in the process, I just enjoy kind of peeling back the layers to see why is it that that's the topic of conversation for you? Why, you know, what's going on beneath the surface of things? I think this probably gets me in trouble a lot of times because uh, I'm, I'm an inquisitive type person. I just want to know more. I think there's more to people than what they show you on the surface. And so I just have this like burning passion to get underneath things, right? I don't know. Depending on what kind of person you are and who you are, this could annoy you. In fact, I've learned this from, from just personal experience. Like some people are put off by the fact that I'll just ask a ton of questions. And, and I, even, even my wife is the complete opposite personality of me. She, she is not that. She would just rather take people as they are. So she's very trusting of people, which is a great quality to have. So on the other hand, I just, a lot of times, I don't take people for what they give me on the surface. I think there's more underneath it. And so it's not necessarily that's a better quality to have. But I've just learned, especially doing ministry, that a lot of times things are not what they seem on the surface. And so that's something that I just kind of, 
passionately believe, and I believe God's wired me to do that. But I've also learned that I think that's true of Scripture as well. If you get into, into this book at all, I've just learned that I think, you know, a lot of times what you read, it's not just the surface level that God wants to speak to you through. That there's more underneath kind of the surface of scriptures if you're willing to dig into it. And one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much is because there's always more beneath the surface if you go and look for it. In fact, I really believe that one day we'll all get to heaven one day and God will say, you guys were nowhere close to discovering all the richness and the depths that are in the scriptures. Like even, even the best theologians, even the best scholars were nowhere close to even discovering the richness that's in the Bible. I just believe that to be true. And sometimes the fact that we don't get underneath the surface of the scripture is not necessarily that we need to learn more theology and that kind of stuff. I think sometimes it's just depending on the season of life that you're in, you know, you start reading scripture and it's more, it's more than just surface level. Like if you're in a certain season of life, you read a scripture and it's just like, oh, that was good. And you just kind of brush over it. In another season of life, you read the same exact scripture and it's like, boom, that, I needed that, right? And then all of a sudden that scripture is packed with just deep richness that you didn't discover at first. So sometimes it's not that we're at fault. I think sometimes it's just a kind of a season of life. But what I've seen is that a lot of people will give up on reading the Bible because they don't go under what's on the surface. And sometimes I've seen this because uh, people are so familiar with the Bible, like you've been reading it for years, you were raised in Sunday school and all that kind of stuff, so you've heard the Bible stories your entire life, and so you just kind of read the story, and it's just that. It's like, oh, yep, there we go again, the Christmas story. Jesus was born of Virgin Mary in a town called Bethlehem, and a little some animals were around, blah, 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 shepherds, wise men, it was cool, great. It just becomes the familiar story that you've been reading your whole life. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes I think we give up on the Bible because maybe it's fresh to you. Maybe it's new to you. Maybe you're new to faith, and so you're reading it, and you're just like, I don't understand this, and you haven't really learned uh, the depths of the scriptures and how to read underneath things, and so sometimes you just get the surface level, and you're just like, man, I don't get it, and you give up on it. And I think one of my greatest desires is that people, especially you guys here, would learn to read the scriptures and get what's underneath the surface of it. And one of the things that God's been teaching me in this Christmas season as I'm reading the Christmas story all over again are some things that uh, I think are maybe a little bit underneath the surface, things that have not always stuck out to me and they're sticking out to me in a fresh way uh, this year. And so I thought I'd share them with you tonight. Is that okay? Is it okay if I share those with you? Give me some feedback. I need some help tonight. Okay, great. There may not be anything uh, new to you, but uh, I'm praying that maybe just in the season that you're in, these things that you've read before will be fresh to you tonight because uh, I'm experiencing them in a new way and they've been fresh to me. But there's a theme throughout the Christmas story that is, uh, I think it's like an underlying theme throughout the Christmas story. It's a little bit under the surface, but I want to talk through it tonight. And that is this theme of the unusual, the unlikely arrival of Jesus. The unusual, unlikely arrival of Jesus. Like how it all happened. And so I want to, uh, I want to highlight a couple of parts of the story tonight. And um, 
just point out a few things. I think there's probably 20 things that could be pointed out. But I just want to point out three things tonight, and then we'll go hang out and get some coffee together. Is that okay? I'm going to jump around from Scripture. From uh, We're going to look at two different accounts of the birth of Jesus, both in uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2 and Matthew chapter 2. So you can read both of these gospel accounts of the arrival of Jesus, and uh, they have the same story, but Luke includes a few different details that Matthew doesn't include. Matthew includes some details that Luke doesn't include. And so we'll jump around from uh, part to part. But I want to read, first of all, in Luke chapter 1, kind of the beginning of the arrival of Jesus in verse 26. If you got your Bible, if you brought a Bible to church tonight, will you just put it in the air and wave it around like you do care? Come on. If your Bible is glowing, that's okay. There you go. Wave it in the air. You're just as cool, probably a little bit cooler. I don't know. You're with the times. You're with the times, as they say. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you're ready to read some scripture, just shout amen. Amen. That's good. It says this. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's a whole other story. You can read the beginning of Luke chapter 1 to get the story of Elizabeth. But it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and the angel said this, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That's a great thing to start a conversation with. I like that. Verse 29, it says, uh, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary responds by asking the question, how will this be since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That's fascinating to me. Such a, such a cool story and a crazy, crazy way to start the story of Jesus on earth. So the first kind of unusual, unlikely thing that stood out to me in the story of Jesus this year that I want to talk about is the fact that Jesus came through the Virgin Mary. The fact that Jesus came through the Virgin Mary. I don't think we need to go into the science of how babies are made tonight, do we? Maybe so, do we? I don't know. Uh, I'm assuming you guys know all of the, the biological implications on that. Um, If not, I do have one child and one on the way, so um, I know how it works, just saying. (laughs) Most awkward thing I've ever said. (laughs) Um, but, But just so you know, the same way that they're made today is the same way that babies were made 2,000 years ago. It's the same 
biological way that babies were made 2,000 years ago. And so the fact that God chose to send Jesus to be born to a virgin is one of the most unusual, unlikely events in history. Absolutely unusual that God would choose this. So why is the birth to the Virgin Mary, why is that necessary to the narrative of the story of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. I want to give you three things, and you can probably do your own research and learn more about it, but I just want to point out three. The first reason why this is necessary and why I think God wanted or God intended for it to happen this way is because it sets a supernatural standard. The virgin birth sets a supernatural standard. One uh, Scottish theologian wrote in his book, The Person of Christ is the, the title of the book, he said this, he said, the virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas, and none of us must think of hurrying past it. It stands on the threshold of the New Testament, blatantly supernatural, defying our rationalism, informing us of all that follows will belong to the same order as itself, and that if we find it offensive, there is no point in proceeding further. The virgin birth stands at the beginning of the story of Jesus for a reason. And I find it fascinating that if you look at the bookmarks, bookmarks of the life of Jesus, they both began and ended, his life did, in a very supernatural, non-human way. The virgin birth happened, which could not be explained in humanity terms, that's how his life began. And then the end of his life, it ended in the most supernatural way with the resurrection of the dead and then the ascension to the right hand of his father. Both incredibly supernatural. And this is how Jesus decides to come on earth. And he sets the standard that his life would be defined supernaturally. The second reason that this was necessary is that the virgin birth shows that humanity needs redeeming that it cannot bring about on its own. That all of humanity needs redeeming and it cannot happen on our own. We cannot bring it about on our own. Last week we talked about uh, the fact that Jesus came as the Prince of Peace and that he was the peace, the relational peace between all of humanity and God. That he bridged the gap for us to have a way to God. This is how Jesus came for that. And so he's the peace that brings relational peace between us and God because we could not do it on our own. Humanity could not solve the fact that we needed to be redeemed. And so the virgin birth shows that we could not do it. We could not produce a savior. It had to come only supernaturally. And only from God. And lastly, the virgin birth is a perfect combination of Jesus being both fully God and fully man. I think this is, this is my favorite. It's a perfect combination. Think about this. Jesus was conceived in the womb by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely supernatural. Can't explain it. A girl who had never had sex before is now pregnant. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. And yet, he was born in a human way. 
Now, this may get a little bit wonky, I guess, but let me just describe it the best that I know how, and it made sense to me this way. The other day, I was uh, watching a movie on TV. I was watching Superman. You guys seen the movie? I I don't know which one it was. I feel like there's 16 different versions of Superman now, Uh, but it was the one um, where his dad is Russell Crowe. You guys know? You guys don't watch Superman. Cool. All right. Okay. Got it. Say it again. Man of Steel. That's right. Superman, Man of Steel. And I was watching that. And if you know the story of Superman, you don't need to watch the movie. But if you know the story of Superman, he's born of this other earth, this other earth. But then he comes to our earth, but not born of a human. He's just like dropped down. Right. So he comes as an infant. And so he's born of another earth, but he comes as an infant. Now think about Jesus. Jesus is born of another earth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, completely supernatural, yet he is brought into the earth in a human type of way through Mary giving birth to him. So it's both completely supernatural, completely God, but also completely human. And this is an important fact, such an important fact, That Matthew in his gospel records that they did not consummate their marriage until after the birth of Jesus. If you don't know what consummate means, go ask your mom. But um, just a hint, they did not do the dirty until after Jesus was born. This is the best message I've ever given. I've mentioned that twice. Until after Jesus was born. Why? It was like they were trying to, and Jesus was trying to imply even more so, there's no way this could be humanly possible. That it is both completely divine and both human. Think about it like this. If he's not born from a human birth, if he's just kind of placed on earth as a baby like Superman, a complete deity, then he's fully God, but he's not fully man. And so for the rest of history, we question his humanity. And we think, well, no wonder he could perform his miracles. He's fully God. He's of another earth. He's just got all this stuff. But yet he was fully God and fully man. Think about it like this. If he's not born of a virgin, then he's fully man. And we would question his deity. And so the fact that he was born both in a supernatural, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but also brought into this world in a human way through birth is this perfect combination of Jesus being both fully God and fully man. I want you to hear me. The gift of Jesus was wrapped in the unusual, not normal, unusual, unlikely. And the Virgin Mary is the first example of that. Another example that I want to talk to you tonight is you may have heard of the three wise men. Have you heard of the three wise men? If you've grown up around the uh, nativity scene, you may be familiar with the nativity scene. You got, you know, Joseph and Mary and, and baby Jesus swaddled in this thing and, in, in, you know, the manger and then around animals. And then you've got these shepherds, but then you've got these three wise men, or you may have heard them referred to as three kings, right? Who are these three wise men? I want to talk about them just for a little bit. You can read uh, kind of the account of them in Matthew chapter 2. But the term that we get from the original text is actually not, uh, it's not wise men. It's it's this term, this Greek word magi. 
that they were the three magi. And there's some debate about who they actually were, but Matthew's account uh, indicates, and what most scholars believe is that the magis were astrologers, that they were astrologers and even interpreters of omens. And so back in the, in the time of Jesus' birth, there was a strong belief in the power of astrology. And so you had these uh, pagan astrologers who went around interpreting the signs of the stars and what they meant and all this kind of stuff. And they were very well respected and frequently sought after in the Greco-Roman world. And by the way, just so you know, uh, we don't have a need to read the stars because we have connection with the one who made the stars. And so that's an even better connection to have. So there's no need to read the stars. Uh, just throw that in there. But the astrologers were very respected in that time. And here's what's fascinating to me. If you study up on it, uh, most of the rulers back in biblical day actually feared astrologers. They were fearful that the astrologers would get some kind of sign from the stars that would eventually lead to the, their demise. Their, their political agenda, their political structure would lead. The astrologers would get a sign from the heavens, from the stars, and they would then give it to the people. Well, the stars said that this guy is corrupt or whatever, and it would lead to the demise of that ruler. And so the rulers were fearful of astrologers. This is why you can read uh, later in the story of the account of Jesus' birth later that um, when, the, when these three magi showed up to the birthday of Jesus, that the ruler at that time freaked out and ends up sending this decree to kill all of the boys under the age of two. Why? It wasn't that he hated boys. It was that he was fearful that this Messiah would rise up and then take him over. And so he sent that out because he was fearful that people would listen to these astrologers and that this would end up happening. And so <coughs> most of the rulers were uh, fearful of these astro astrologers. Excuse me. And this is what is fascinating to me. These astrologers were not Jewish people. They were not biblical scholars. They actually believed in a whole other set of a religion that was not aligning with what the Jews believed in. And think about this. Think about this. And God saw fit that they, out of all people, that they be at the birth or the early stages, at least, of the Messiah. That's crazy, right? Like, why these guys? These guys were not, these guys were not following like the ways of the Bible or the ways of God. They were on a whole other set of religion. And yet God made a way through the star of Bethlehem for them to find their way to the manger and to the early stage of Jesus. And they are an intricate part of the story. Why these guys? Here's what God's just been stirring up in me. From the very, very beginning, it was like God was announcing to everyone that the gospel we don't even have to wait till the crucifixion and the resurrection. The gospel starts at the very birth of Jesus. And now the gospel is not just for a set few people called the Jews, but now it's for every single person. And that the love of Jesus would extend out to every single person, not just confided to a set people, but now to even those, listen, even those who would practice and preach things that were against what he would preach, and yet he saw fit that they be some of the few people that are recorded in the scriptures. 
And check this out. And he actually used their way of thinking, a star, to communicate to them. And so it's like from the very beginning, Jesus is announcing to all of us even today that I will do whatever it takes to get to every single person in the world. That no one is out of my reach, that no one is too far for me, no one is too far gone. It doesn't even matter if you quite line up with what I teach or preach. I'm not worried about that right now. I'm going to get to you first and then I'm going to draw you into me. It's like he was saying that from the very beginning of the scriptures by having these three magi show up to the story. God was willing to use any means necessary to get to every single person. It was the announcement of the core of the gospel that we believe in. And listen to me. The gift of Jesus was wrapped in the unusual. Once again, gets wrapped in the unusual, the fact that he would invite these men. And then the third and final group of people that I would point out to you that's just a little bit unusual are the shepherds. You've heard the story. You may be familiar with the shepherds showing up to the arrival of Jesus, but I'm going to read it to you in uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 18, or verse 8. It says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, rightfully so. <laughs> but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That was the announcement of Jesus' birth to these shepherds. Now hear me out just for a minute. The shepherds who were present at the birth of Jesus would have been looked down upon by their holier neighbors. In fact, many of the religious people of that day, many of the Pharisees, many of the so-called religious people of that day believed that the shepherds were just so lowly in their you know, their work, their job, what they did. They were so dirty. It was not a uh, profession that you wanted to be known for. It was out in the fields for days, just nasty kind of people. And so the religious people of the day even believed that the gospel or that the, uh, the message of God and the soon-to-be message of the Messiah was not even for them because they were just so far from it. And yet, once again, Jesus invites the shepherds to the beginning of the story. <laughs> if anybody expected to be invited to the birthday party of the long-awaited Messiah, it was the overly religious people, not the lowly shepherds who were too busy literally counting sheep. And once again, we see God completely flipping the social order on its head and hinting to the Jews that Jesus would be a blessing for all mankind, not just the religious high people, but for the very lowest of 
the lows. And so not only did God humble himself by sending his son to earth, but he included the lowly, the despised, the looked down upon to be a part of the special day that would forever change history. (laughs) Isn't this amazing? At the very beginning of time, Jesus started this as a theme that would go all throughout scripture. He was making it clear that everyone would be offered salvation through his son, Jesus. Once again, not just from the Virgin Mary, not just from the three Magi, but from the shepherds. The gift of Jesus was wrapped in the unusual, what no one was expecting, the unlikely. And so let me conclude my talk. It's almost as if every detail of Jesus' coming was the opposite of what people were expecting. And yet, if you read the account of Scripture and and the whole story of Jesus, you know that this is consistent with who he was. This is exactly what he did throughout his entire adult life as well. He completely flipped the system on its head. Let me read to you a few things that he did. They thought he would come as a king to reign over them. But instead, he came as a savior looking to reign in them and through them. They thought he was coming to establish a ruling reign like a president or something like that and that he would govern the people. But instead, he came to go, no, I'm going to rule in you, in your very life, and then I'm going to rule through you. And he establishes his kingdom now through the people of God. That's what he did. Unlikely, unusual. They thought he would come riding into town on a fancy chariot. But instead, he came riding on a donkey, just like everyone else, the lowest of the people. Completely unusual. They thought he would come upholding the law like all the religious people. But he came and he actually introduced something new called love. And this love would forgive people for their sin. And he offered mercy and grace instead of judgment and condemnation. Completely unusual, completely different. They thought he would come to be lifted high amongst the religious superiority. But instead he came to be lifted high on a rugged cross to bear the sin and the shame of all people. Completely different, completely unusual, not what they expected. And the story of Christmas is entirely unusual and unlikely. And here's how I wanted to tie it. And you say, what does this have to do with me? Well, first, I hope you appreciate the Christmas story on a different level. Jared, you can come up. But here's how I wanted to just conclude tonight and hopefully encourage you. God often chooses to work in our lives in unusual, unlikely kinds of ways. Did you know that? If you haven't been following him very long, you'll, you'll soon learn that it's in ways that you weren't expecting that he wants to kind of put his finger on and just press into. He'll kind of change some plans that you thought you were going down a path, and he'll just say, ah, I'm going to take you down this path. He'll do things a little bit unlikely, a little bit unusual. Think about it. He uses the unusual, what wasn't expected to bring about his ultimate purpose. He did it in the story of Jesus, and he'll do it in you. He will do the unusual to bring about his ultimate 
purpose. He does it all the time. He specializes in taking something that from the outside looking in seems chaotic and crazy and not how it should be and no way that the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Messiah would come to a virgin Mary, a nobody in a small little podunk town called Nazareth. And then he would work some things out so that they would travel to Bethlehem and end up fulfilling the prophecies of all scripture. No way that God would do that. That's not how it's supposed to happen. Yep, it is because he does the unusual things. And when God decides to bring about his purposes here on earth, I want to encourage you tonight that there is no one too low, no one too poor, no one too unqualified, too battered, too broken, too unreligious, too sexually impure, too Republican or too Democrat. There is no one that he cannot raise up or use to accomplish what he wants to accomplish on this earth. And in fact, <clears throat> I bet that he would actually use the person that we would least expect him to use. So I don't know if you came in here tonight feeling like you're too low, too whatever, all those things I just listed for God to use. I want you to know, started way back thousands of years ago, he started unrolling how he would use people. And he said, I'm going to do it in the most unusual, unlikely, unsuspecting kind of ways. And if he did it then, I promise he'll do it with you too. And so I think that ought to encourage you. <clears throat> but the problem with us is that unusual often carries unknown. <laughs> you know that? The unusual ways that God wants to work often means that it's going to be unknown to you. And the problem with unknown is unknown often carries fear. And so fear is what restricts us from fully trusting God. Fear is what restricts us from fully trusting him. But can I remind you once again, as we've been saying all night, the presence of Jesus is wrapped in the unusual. And so it would be like Jesus to want to use a situation in your life that seems horrific, that seems chaotic, that seems crazy, that seems scary, that seems not what you had planned, that maybe even seems evil. It would be like Jesus to use that very thing to bring about exactly what he wants to bring about. Once again, he did it for Jesus. He used the unusual, unlikely. I promise you, he'll do it for you. The unusual in your life will either fill you with fear or it will fill you with faith. Which one will it be for you? <clears throat> the unusual, unknown, the fearful things, the things that aren't exactly what you had planned, they can either fill you with fear, it's crippling fear because it's out of your control and it's not what you had planned for, or you can decide to let it fill you with faith. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says that faith is confidence in what we hope for 
and assurance in what is not yet seen. And so what you have not yet seen, what you have not yet seen about your future, what you have not yet seen how this career decision will work out, what you have not yet seen about will you end up marrying someone or not marrying someone, what you have not yet seen about the health of your parents or maybe even your health, what you have not yet seen, and yet faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what is not yet seen, that even though I don't know the end to those things, I serve a God who does, and I can fully trust in him. If you read at the beginning of the story of Mary learning that she was going to conceive Jesus, she, there's this verse in Luke chapter 1, verse 38 that I've been clinging to all month. She responds to his announcement that this would be happening to her. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. What a statement. She says, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. Whatever you want. Your promise for my life. Your will for my life. May it happen. I'm yours. It seems unusual. It seems strange. Seems like not what I thought it was going to be. But I am the Lord's. May your word to me be fulfilled. I really believe that the atmosphere of faith is the unknown and the unusual. If you knew everything about your future, if you knew everything about why certain things are happening to you or happening to your friends or to your family, if you knew it all, there'd really be no need for faith. You'd have it all figured out. And so the atmosphere of faith is often in the unknown and the unusual, that that is actually where faith arises in his people. That is actually where God is trying to elevate your faith in him is right in the middle of the situation that you don't know why it's happening or you don't know the end and what will come from it. That's exactly where God wants you because it's in that your faith is elevated in him and you ultimately have the choice to say, I am the Lord's servant. May your promises to me be fulfilled. Whatever you would have for my life, I'm yours. That's when you get the chance to say that. And so I just wanted to challenge you with that tonight. Maybe there's some things in your life that have you a little bit fearful because it's not exactly what you had in mind or you don't know how it's going to turn out, what the future holds and all those kinds of things. I just wanted to encourage you that God's been working in the unusual, unlikely kinds of ways, even from the beginning of the, his son, Jesus, coming to earth. That's how he did it. That's how he did it all throughout scripture. It is likely how he will do it with you as well. And that's not something to fear. That's something to go, how cool, how awesome, how great that God would want to use me in that kind of way and that God would draw me even closer to himself so that my faith was forced to be elevated in him. That's actually a kindness of God that he would do that but it goes against every comfort that we want here on earth. So, will you put your confidence in what you know and what you can control? Or will you put your confidence in the things that are, are not seen 
but the person that you can trust? That's the question. Let me pray for you tonight. Father, I know even from my own experience that talking about trusting in you and putting our hope and our faith in you, when it comes time to uh, areas of life that we can't figure out what you're doing or why you're doing it, God, I know from my own experience it's, it's uh, much more difficult to actually do than it is to say. But God, I also know that it's not impossible. And uh, you have demonstrated that for us. And Lord, in each person in this room who is a follower of you, that you have deposited your very presence inside of them in the Holy Spirit. And God, because of that, they have all access to courage, to faith, to hope, And every single thing that they need, they have access to it. And so, God, whatever it takes for them to lean into you more, to surrender to you more, to to get outside of putting their confidence in themselves and what they know, but to get inside of putting our confidence in you and the fact that you have promised to fulfill your plans for us. God, would you help us to suddenly lean lean away from our own control and our own understanding and to lean into you? Because it's in that, ultimately, that our purpose will be fulfilled. And so, Lord, would you teach us how to do that? Teach us what that means. And um, God, thank you. Thank you that you would put us in situations where we are forced to put our faith in something bigger than ourselves. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.